Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Welcome back, everybody. If you have not listened to part one of the series for Andrea, please go back and make sure you listen to part one before you pick up with part two. I think part two will make far more sense to you if you make sure that you've caught up on that first piece. When we left off with Andrea last time, she had just lost her father, but she was also uh, telling us a little bit more about their relationship from before his passing. And so we're gonna pick up in that place where she's just lost him, but mentally she's in a little bit of a rewind talking about their relationship. After the difficult relationship and then having to care for him, you know, as some people are going through this, they might think, oh, well, <laughs> he's gone now. I'll regain some power or something. And there were, there were, there was definitely growth at that time and um, lessons learned. It was a gift in a really ugly package. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some things are a gift in a really ugly package. And that's one example. And you know, not his death per se, but having to care for him and go through the difficulty of, you know, there was the dementia, having to deal with the childhood issues <laughs> that were triggered before he was more docile because it had progressed, you know, having to find a, a home. He threatened suicide at one point. And your, your dad did. Yes. <sighs> He used to say things to get attention and like, you know, when somebody wasn't doing what he wanted or he might say something like, well, why don't I just blow my brains out and then, well, we don't have to worry about it anymore. He would say stuff like that. And so he said to me one day, he said something about ending it. And this time he said it a little differently. So I didn't blow it off. And I said, well, how would you do that? And he says, I haven't figured that out yet. Again, the way he said it, I'm like, okay, that's different. This, this is different. And so I told him, I said, all right, well, now I'm really concerned because you're not taking care of yourself properly. And now you are saying you're actively thinking of how to harm yourself. So I'm calling the police. And I did. And I don't know what they call it now. The common term used to be Baker acted. We ended up, you know, he had to be there for like four days 
to make sure he was. And the only re- way they would release him if he wasn't going to go home and live by himself. We couldn't take him back to my house. There were lots of steps and he was a fall risk between just being frailer and the medications that he was on to supposedly try to um, help the some of the dementia symptoms. So this was before he moved into the facility near your brother, but also yes. after your yeah. mother's death. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I'm going back and forth in the timeline like a bad movie. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, (laughs) I'm just dropping those pins so that we can string it together in our minds. Thank you. I appreciate that. So when all is is said and done, I still think it was the right, it was, it was the hard thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. To take care of him. The right thing to do for everybody. I won't say that. I don't, I don't want to sit here and say that this is the way it should be done. You know, there are some people that are so abusive to you and so toxic in your life for you to have to care for them, for that to be expected. And I know in some families it is. I would like to very clearly say to whoever's listening out there, if it is harmful to your mental health, choose wisely. (laughs) Because do you really have to do it yourself, all by yourself? Yeah, it's like encouraging people to look at that sense of duty, particularly if it yes. compromises yes. one's you own mental health. really need to look at, like, if you're faced with that particular situation, I think as an individual human yourself who is also valuable, you need to decide for yourself, is this the right thing? You made the reference about this experience being a gift in an ugly package. Mm -hmm. What's the gift? The gift was, was that growth that being able to afford some forgiveness toward this person who'd hurt me and, and being able to make that distinction of him not being you know, my dad in the sense, I mean, technically he was my dad, yes, but he he wasn't that same person, you know, who was emotionally withdrawn at some times and full force disciplinary at other times and dismissive on other occasions. You know what I'm, do you get what I'm saying? I think it was the dementia. That changed him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult for him at first when you, I mean, I cannot imagine what it's like to, to like know that you're not all there. And so did his death give me some power back? No, I I can't say it was that. It was um, the power came from what I just said, that, that even if it was a small spurt of growth at the time, that was the power. I don't think people realize how childlike they still are until they work through some of these things. <laughs> and they're... Even when we do, we can still be so childlike sometimes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, you st- you still can retreat sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, that played out again later with Tony's death. 
uh, in the respect of like to bring this whole package together, if you will. So married a very long time. And after much soul searching and introspection and many years of more of a friendship than a marriage, let's, let's say that. And I think many people understand what I'm talking about. I, it, it was like I woke up again. You had been asleep in your marriage or you had been asleep in your life? I, I got lost as I think many people do. I wasn't Andrea anymore, the vibrant, sexy fighter. I was Tony's wife. I was this person's boss. I was that person's aunt. I was, but who, who was I? It's not an uncommon thing. I think people have a difficulty admitting to it and or vocalizing it unless they're maybe in a therapy session <laughs> or <laughs> drinks with their friends or whatever. They might get there. I, I think people are embarrassed maybe to say that. You know, that I, I lost myself somewhere and couldn't find the road back, you know. But I was finding the road back. And I knew there had to be something different and more to life. And so finally, I had to sit him down and say, I'm tired of having the same exact conversations. And nothing changes. And no matter, you know, how much I stand by you and trash your enemies and, you know, fight for you or support you and love you. It's just never going to be enough. You need to love yourself. And I am giving that, that burden because by then it was a burden squarely back to you. So it goes back to that sense of me being able to value myself enough to to state my boundaries and state what I wanted and to not just suffer thinking that, you know, my husband's feelings are more important. When you talk about when you said you need to love yourself and you are speaking to Tony. Yeah. It kind of sounds like part of what you experienced in the years leading up to that time is that you were, you were trying to love him enough for both of you that you were trying to keep him afloat somehow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've said before that I wasn't bitter about, you know, the way things played out because I stayed. So there had to have been something in it for me during that time, you know, and basically I think it was security because there was fear of the unknown. I reached a point where I I decided to choose me. I I want to be Andrea again. <laughs> you know. Now I like put the word self full to it, not selfish. And just to give people some context, he could be a great guy and everybody's perception of any given person has to do with your personal interactions with that person. Tony was a a great guy and he could be a real guy's guy, 
And if I, you know, went into all the inner workings of our marriage, I think uh, people would be shocked. And it's not that we were hiding anything, you know, it's not like some people hide, let's say, you know, verbal abuse or physical abuse or any, it was none of, none of those kinds of things. But he did have, he'd always been insecure. He had his own childhood issues that he'd never gotten through. So when I gave him his burden back for him to carry, I did say to him, I fear that I may have told you too late. So he got right on it and he started um, seeing a therapist and working things out and he was really making progress. We're talking about, are we going to actually get divorced or how are we going to handle this? So you hadn't really decided. I mean, you had kind of told him, hey, I can't do this anymore. Right. It might be too late that I'm telling you. Right. But he picks he picks up what you're putting down and takes action, which yes. is mm-hmm. sort of what every partner hopes for when they come to their partner with this kind of conversation. Right. And he's making some progress, but at the same time, you guys don't know if you're fighting for the marriage to stay together or if you're looking to separate as peacefully as possible. Yes, in the end, that's what it turned out to be. Because it was within a few months after that that I realized after a little more soul searching, I'm like, I did tell you too late. And you know, and I'm sorry. Sorry I didn't give you an ultimatum sooner. <laughs> yeah, so I may not have told you too late for you, but I told never, you too late for me. I can't I can't come back at this point, no matter what you do. Yes. Yeah. So then we began the discussions of, well, are we going to actually legally divorce? Are we just going to separate? You know, finances are a concern. And and I have to say, unless we told them. Nobody knew. People wouldn't have known. Because we're just civil to each other. (laughs) And good friends. And still, you watched it. Still good friends. Still good friends. After that, two weeks, almost to the day after that, is when uh, he'd been having these stomach pains over the 4th of July, really bad. And when he's writhing around in the bed and can't take it anymore, I'm like, okay, tomorrow we're, we're taking you to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor and very quickly gets sent to the hospital. Actually, it took them several days, but pretty much from the beginning, they were on the hunt for cancer. And then it took them a bit. He was there for a full week uh, to try to determine what kind of cancer. So yes, within the space of a month, well, within the space of three months time, we go from, I can't live like this anymore, go get help, to it's too late, to I have cancer. What stage was his cancer? Four. So coming out of even the diagnosis was very bleak. Esophageal cancer, which is a very aggressive cancer. 
had a big tumor in his throat, but it had already metastasized. Um, so he had uh, some nodes in his lungs, in his um, stomach area. And actually what drew their attention was there were these large uh, clots, but there, it was very unusual for, for these two veins to be blocked, to have clots there. And it was like going out of the stomach. And because of that, you know, you don't have the normal motility leading into your intestines. So it was a concern because you're on top of everything else, your intestines can die off, you know, and then there's. And there's still problems. elimination that has to happen. Yeah. Right. So yeah. then, you know, they'd have to go in and take that part out or that luckily that didn't happen. Um, it was a, you know, it was painful, but then eventually uh, controlled with medication. So then we started looking up, you know, treatments, alternative treatments. Um, it just put a different picture on things in, and you were involved with this when you guys had just broken up basically. I mean, we were still, you know, we still cared for each other. I loved him not as a husband, but I loved him, and I was going to, yeah, I was going to see him through it. I mean, you know, when you're with somebody 20-plus years, <laughs> you know, you don't just walk out. I don't anyway. Not in this situation. Talk, talk about a do-unto-others <laughs> situation. Maybe some people would. Again, that's a decision you have to make for yourself based on your situation, your relationship. But we'd always been very civil. We were still friends. Things were amicable. And with that whammy, you know, I said, you, you won't, I promise you, you won't be alone when the time comes. Did you guys, I mean, obviously with stage four, when you're saying when the time comes, were you guys you know, essentially staring death in the face together right after. Well, from what we were seeing online, it wasn't a good picture. Average is two and a half years, depending on your treatment and that kind of stuff. You know, at stage four, most surgeries are out of the question. His surgery was out of the question because of where it was located. It was too dangerous. Plus having the already the two clots, like there were complications that just made it very dangerous. So he did start treatments and it was, uh, well, the first time he got the CT scan and then they show it to you and the tumors, because they've given you dye, it, you know, he, he's like, I look like a Christmas tree because, you know, it all these little lights where the nodes were in the lungs and the groin area and in his esophagus, the big one. So then he had some treatments, and the next checkup, uh, it was much improved. And then as time went by and more treatments, and he's getting weaker, and he's not enjoying life. So he, after a bit, he, he stopped for a while. He's like, what is the point of doing this if you can't, you literally don't have the energy or the desire to go out and do anything. So during that time, he had his motorcycle, got the Harley, 
he got uh, this Ford Transit van, which is it's a recreational vehicle in 22 feet, size of a van, because it had always been a dream. He wanted that for years. So he got that, and he went out and started living some life. He was making new friends. He was going on trips. He made the most of it during that time. And also during this time, I am struggling because I'm like, there has literally been a lifetime that has passed here. And now I have to um, recreate myself and just be Andrea again and figure out how to proceed. So then we're right back to beauty and value, beauty and sex. And the grief had to be so thick. The grief had to be so thick because you're, you know, in the middle of ending this relationship, which comes with its own weight. Yes. And then, you know, whiplash, actually he's sick. And so then you decide, oh, well, the ending maybe that we were going to have, that's going to look different now because you're sick and I'm not going to leave you alone. Right. Yes. And so there's grief there. And then there's grief watching his illness progress and grief, grief watching the treatment. There was grief, my own grief. Uh, part of it was grieving the woman I used to be and could never be again. So I had to be a new woman and whatever remnants of the best parts of me could be retrieved. So yes, there was a lot of, a lot of grief. It's like, it's blinding when you think about the layers of what was going on at that time. It's like the thickest blizzard. Like how could you see anything? Well, and there was (laughs) even more that went on with family members. Um, my sister's husband had a stroke and like, I mean, yeah, people tell us we should both write a book and then somehow tie it together about the craziness that was going on to the two sisters at the time. Now, you know why one of my words is resilience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because what you stayed for, not many people would have the strength to stay for. And you selflessly did that twice, it sounds like, with Tony and with your dad. It goes back to why are you, you do have to ask yourself why, why are you doing this? And again, for me, it's because for my compass, it is the right thing to do. Can you imagine? Now, if I had a different kind of relationship with him over the years, maybe the outcome would have been different. I can't say for sure, because that's not what happened. All I can say is, had I been in the reverse position, I would have wanted some kindness too. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm grieving the woman I couldn't be, and I'm concerned about going out into the dating world again, because all of those subjects of beauty and sex and value and and all of that are getting triggered because gosh there's so many men out there that uh doesn't matter 
you know, they don't care how smart you are, how much money you have, or how funny you are. The first thing, the, the, the first and only thing that they care about is what, what do you look like? And are you, I'm going to say it, are you fuckable? And I've had men confirm this. <laughs> <laughs> like I asked the question, like, so when you're on these dating sites, and when I've said that to them, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, because I will have those open and honest conversations because like, I want to know, I want to, I want to know what the deal is. What am I up against? Yeah. <laughs> it's a reconnaissance so, mission. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A not so stealthy reconnaissance mission. And, and again, I am blessed because I have male friends that I can just ask. I'm like, so I got a question for you. <laughs> and I'm, I am, I am uh, sassy enough to ask the questions. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. So to punctuate or bring it to a close for someone who doesn't know the story of how things unfolded with you and Tony, he went out to live life a little bit with Uh his wreck vehicle and his motorcycle. Uh And in the meantime, you were grieving, Uh grieving for yourself, grieving for the relationship, grieving for him trying to figure out a lot, major existential crisis. Yes. Yeah. Going along with that, of course, I, I, I'm doing some of the classic things that women do, which was good because in the end it was healthier. You know, I lost some weight and then I just started paying more attention to me again, being self full, you know, what do I like? How do I feel? What do I want? Not that I didn't wear makeup before, but just started more care, just more self care paying a bit more attention, you know, so that even if I didn't feel 100% confident on the inside, I could strut into a room like I was. (laughs) And then, of course, the night that I found out that he had a girlfriend. Oh, God. Oh, God. It's a very difficult night. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was a bit hammering mm-hmm. emotionally because it was like I didn't fix him. He did the work. Uh, he was on his way. He wasn't all 100% there yet. But So I put you on the right path and got you good enough so you could go have fun with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, we've we've devolved over years, you know, basically just being each other's friend or companion. Yeah. And now as you're preparing to make an exit, you have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was quite a I can't even I can't even give you a word right now. But I got through it because resilience. Resilience. You know, I can be very logical and pragmatic when I'm not being goofy. (laughs) And of course, in this situation, I have to say to myself, well, can I blame the guy? He was dying. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't anybody want that? Want to live? That last bit of love. And have all the expressions of life that you can possibly have. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. After you found out he had a girlfriend, how much longer was his life? When did he pass? 
it went really fast. He was starting to feel pain and some things again, and so he and he was getting uh, weak. Uh, losing, he was losing a lot of weight, so he started treatments again. And then when he was, let's see, from the time he was told, we've done everything we can for you. And then uh, hospice started, and we did hospice at home, and that's a whole nother. Don't do it, people, unless you have a team. Mm. I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Uh, It's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. I already told my sister that, and it's in my will, you do what's right for you, but unless you have a team, like, I mean, a team, not just like you and one other person, mm-hmm. but unless you have a team so that you don't ruin your own health and get run ragged, please, I will get better care, I, I think, if and when that time happens, if I'm in a hospice facility. So anyway, but I digress. <laughs> That's a big, it's a, it's a big commitment. My family has been there and... I understand that commitment. Each family has to decide for their own, but it's even with people coming to the house and the good care that he did receive, I feel that faster observance of his symptoms and faster care would have happened in a hospice facility because there's nurses on duty there that would have observed things as a nurse that I observed and would tell them, but you know, they're like, okay, yes, under the normal course of things and the normal timeline and da, 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 but that's not what was happening. So to answer your question from that time to his passing was around two weeks, just under two weeks. So when it happened, it happened super fast. It's so hard to talk about losses like these and to have you know, any idea what to say. It's like, it's just all so big that the words are just too small. Yes, so that's why I don't even have a word sometimes. You know, you try, you try to put a word on some things and it's just lacking. However, I am me now. You're Andrea again? Yeah. Mid-October last year was it was a full year that he had passed. So a lot's transpired and a lot more self-love and growth and self-care. A lot of self. A lot and of I'm self-full. Good, and I'm good with that. <laughs> and other people should be too. Not selfishness. Selfful. And learn to distinguish the two. It's okay to be selfful. So maybe you just said it, but when you look at at the topics of sex and death where we've, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. We've leaned into sex and death a little bit tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say it is that you know as a result of what you have experienced in those two areas? All I know is. All I know is that all of the things I've discussed are 
in many ways, common, ordinary, and yet they are epic for each person Mm. who is dealing with them in their own way. And if I can give some unsolicited advice from my journey, it would be don't run from it. The only way to handle a bully is to to face them down. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience. And so if you think of it this way, then it it alters, you know, it alters your uh, approach. It alters your mindset of how you're going to handle yourself and handle the situation. Everybody dies. It's part of life. Death is part of life. I have a strange, I think I've even been told, I have a strange take, if you will, on death in that, yes, no one's getting out alive. So don't let it be the scary monster in the corner. You don't have to dwell on it. You don't have to get morbid about it. But it's okay to have conversations about it. In fact, I think it's cathartic and healthier to have the conversations about it. If nothing else, so somebody else might feel braver to give voice to something they're feeling. And know that whatever they're feeling, their feelings are valid and it's okay. Death is such a complicated it's such a complicated subject and the human response to it is just as complicated. Just and so as it, complicated because we all deal with it differently. Some people, you know, how I dealt with my mother's death and then how I dealt with my father's death and how I dealt with Tony's death were all different. The same in some ways, but each was very different as well. Because it's its own thing. It's its own thing. You know, there is no one way to deal with death. So likewise, there probably is no one way to deal with these other subjects. Again, subjects that are common and ordinary to each and every life, I think. At some point in a person's life, these these are like common themes. Well, if you're female now... If you're a male, you may have had to deal with these things from the other side of the fence, you know, and you have your own take on the situation. And that's valid as well. So as we wrap up for tonight, I'm sure you remember having listened to other interviews that uh-huh. we close with the Bernard Pivot questionnaire. Uh-huh. So are you ready to launch into that? Sure. Andrea, what's your favorite word? Fuckery. What's your least favorite word? Well, it's a it's a two word word, child molestation, because it's bullshit. It's rape. Call it what it is. Whether it's done slow over time through enticement or coercement, the result is the same. You know, whether it's done that way or violently, quickly, it's still violence. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? (laughs) Dangerous question. (laughs) (laughs) People. Yeah, people. You know, they're all so different. They all have, you know, their different perceptions. I mean... 
yeah, people. Love, love to know about people and meet people and be around people. What turns you off? That's a, that's a tough question for me because I'm open to so many opinions and possibilities and, um, yeah, like rather than being off put, you would more be curious. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes something can, can be both off putting. I'm like, Hmm. (laughs) Let's, let's dig a little deeper. Yeah. What made them react that way? What made them choose that word? Yeah. That's the way my mind works. Uh, what is off putting? Oh, yes. A liar. What's your favorite curse word? I think I said it already. Fuckery. Fuckery. (laughs) I'm just saying it, people. I'll put it in a sentence for you. What manner of fuckery is this? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) What sound or noise do you love? Laughter. A child's laughter in particular. What sound or noise do you hate? (laughs) Well, I haven't had to listen to it in a while, but um, I require sleep. So I would say when I'm sleeping, it's that loud snoring, that no amount of nudging in the side or getting them to roll over on their side or whatever. Um, Because, yeah, because then I get cranky. But that's very, that's kind of intimate and specific. A general noise that I hate would be, you know, the nails on the chalkboard. Oh, yeah. I'm bristling as you say it. That makes me cringe. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Well, I have been told that psychotherapy or psychology, you know, one of those would probably be good. Um, if I had to go back in time and, and I could and could afford it, I might have gone to medical school because all that gushy stuff does not gross me out. I find it fascinating. So I guess whether it's messing with people's innards or messing with their inner brain. <laughs> with their head. With their head. Yeah. Again, it's people related. Hey, you want to do something with the insides. With the insides, whether, yeah, exactly. I guess that's it. One profession, they wouldn't have called it a profession many years ago. In particular, human sexuality fascinates me. And like now is a particularly fascinating time. (laughs) What profession would you definitely not like to do? Oh, gosh. So many, so many that I would not like to do. Okay, well, one that I always said, and I haven't ever done this, is to be a server, like in a restaurant or something, because I think that they take a lot of crap, probably. Dealing with the public is hard. It's just dealing with the public is hard. And I think that's, you know, it's hard work. And the hours and and all those kinds of things. So that's one profession that I said I would know. And the last one is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as you pass through the pearly gates? (laughs) You weren't sure you were going to make it, were you? (laughs) (laughs) 
but there you are. But here you are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Andrea, and for telling us these stories. There was so much that you offered tonight that hasn't been discussed in our program before. And so I love that you kind of brought us into some new frontiers. And I hope that that will be helpful for our listeners. And I just want to encourage everybody, as you think about what you heard from Andrea tonight, there's a couple of things that really popped up for me that I feel like might be helpful and useful for all of us, just in terms of reflecting on something as basic as our sex and how we are influenced in the world and what we experience in the world on the basis of sex. Hey, that's a movie. Isn't that a movie? I think on the basis of sex yeah, is a movie Bader. about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a little sideways plug for that. Not even knowing. <laughs> It's funny how things sort of creep up in your mind. (laughs) But I think taking some time to just reflect on something as basic as that, I think I really appreciate you prompting that tonight because I feel like that's not something I have done maybe ever, but definitely in a really, really long time. That feels like fresh perspective and a fresh idea. And then, too, I really like that word that you introduced tonight, selfful. Oh, not, I like the other word better, but okay. Oh, you're thinking about fuckery? <laughs> well, fuckery's not new. But selfful. And I just, whatever, whatever you can take from Andrea's story to sort of inspire yourself to move into a more selfful place will probably make a lot more whole and healthy human beings in the world if we're stepping into that. And then the last thing that really struck me tonight, which I hope it landed with some of you too, is that Andrea was saying that a lot of the things she was talking about are sort of common experiences. Far too many people have experienced sexual trauma. So many people have lost a loved one. Too many people have been touched and impacted by cancer. So, okay, we might say that these things are ordinary, but that the truth is that even if they are ordinary or too common, that for the individual going through them, they are epic and they are life-changing. And I just really like that you brought that back into focus for all of us. Okay, friends, take care until the next time we meet. Thank you again, Andrea, for being with us. You're welcome. My pleasure. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. 
All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. And our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma. And we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at know at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. All I know at inwardboundco.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allinow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you catch all the light you can.